0: The Big Footy Port Adelaide Podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision.
1: My team, power.
2: I love the power. power, power. I love the power.
0: power, power. G'day everyone, Maca Nineteen here, and this the is power. the Big Footy Port Adelaide Podcast coming to you live once again on Port Fan Radio. And tonight, as co-host, we have the lovely Portia.
1: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How are we? Uh, extremely well. I saw a pretty good game of football on Saturday and uh, certainly quite different to what we've seen for the rest of the year. Um, I have a few thoughts I'd like to say on that in relation to previous visits I've had where I think people have been quite critical of our fitness. Um, But I think it would be a real struggle for anyone to say that Port Adelaide players did not look strong and tough on the weekend.
0: Absolutely. 100% 100 spot on there. Look, back on the podcast is Harold Oliver.
3: Good evening, one and all. I'm with Portland Fan Radio Royalty tonight. My goodness, your majesty, Portia. What a privilege (laughs) it is. I'm actually mad with embarrassment.
1: I prefer your grace.
3: (laughs) Oh, your grace.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you're in
0: Melbourne. Uh, There's an
3: office in any
0: rings. (laughs) (laughs) Two wins, eh? What an enjoyable weekend. And It hasn't really happened all that much this year.
1: No, no. No, it's um, it's been good. Um, it is always a bit disappointed when these sort of wins come at this time of year after the kind of season we've had where it's sort of a little bit meaningless, but um, when it's a win in one in that style, it's uh, the sort of win you have to take and you really just want to see carried over, let's say, for another full year consistently from today and forever the next 10 years, 20 years, whatever, just that constant contested, don't mess around, Late release of the ball to get the maximum advantage. Just that really fantastic uh, style of football.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, it should be the minimum we expect from now on.
1: Indeed. Yeah. Well,
0: look, let's uh, get straight into it and talk about our love and hate, which is one thing we loved, one thing we hated about Port Adelaide this week. Uh, Portia, I'll start with you.
1: Okay, look, um, I'm going to start with a the Porty love. Uh, which is going to be that I really, really, really love that uh, Leon Cameron went to DWS instead of the Quad Um, (laughs) Adelaide. We talked last week in the preview about uh, how this was really going to be a coach's game and it was going to – because Kinkley was out there, he was saying exactly what he was going to do with the selections. Um, We watched the match and he did exactly what we thought he'd do. We basically played a a revved-up, turbocharged version of the slingshot all game long and – It took until I think the third quarter before we saw DWS in any way use the most obvious strategy to counter what we were doing, which is to play possession football and set up so that your tall forwards can lead into space and mark. They had almost no opportunity to do that. We had fantastic defence that were very accountable uh, on the man. And yes, there were a few free kicks given away, but playing the style that we were, that's going to happen occasionally. But the reality is that uh, if you discard free kicks um, the tall forwards of GWS really did not a lot for that whole game. And we were really worried about them pre-game. They've got a lot of quality. And a good key forward is almost impossible to stop. So the fact that yeah. we telegraphed our strategy before the game and Leon Cameron didn't have an answer that they could apply us consistently, gosh, I really wouldn't want to be a GWS fan. But I guess no one does because there aren't any. <laughs> good
0: call. Good call.
3: What about uh, your love, Harold? Look, I'm going to go for the bleeding obvious. I have a love that I'm sure we all share for Brendan Archie. Archie is just about, you know, the most genuine and natural person uh, you could ever meet. Um, My eldest daughter and I chatted to him after the Eagles game at Woodville a couple of weeks back and he was so enthusiastic about playing AFL football and pretty pleased that he backed himself in to take that, you know, that game-saving mark in the last quarter of the Phil Walsh tribute game against Collingwood. And so hopefully Arch is going to be, you know, that second big body clearance midfielder to complement Ollie Wines that, you know, Port fans have been dreaming of for the last year and a bit. And on Saturday, look, his. Confidence and self-belief had grown to such an extent that, you know, despite being nervous on other occasions, you know, when have had been lining up in front of goal in the AFL, you could tell he was never going to miss that set shot and kicked his third. And, look, he was clearly best on ground for me. And, you know, his stats are glorious to read. 11 kicks, 13 handballs, including those two by 30-metre left-hand specials. He had an even spread of contested and uncontested possessions three clearances, five tackles, three goals, and, you know, the most spectacular mark of the day. And, look, uh, last week on the Port Fan Radio Maggie show, so I'll put in a plug for that, Matt and I spoke about, you know, our magpies and academy size wins against the Roosters being the silver lining to what was, you know, a pretty dark and gloomy and cloudy weekend last weekend. And, well, after that breakout performance... And he's hoping there's plenty more to come. You know, Brendan Archie is perhaps the silver lining to our 2015 season.
2: Agree Indeed, with all that. I
0: mean, yeah. We've been crying out for one of our second stringers to have a, a breakout game all year. And finally, after 20 weeks, Brendan does it. You know, one of them really stood up. And as you said, you know, 25 touches, three goals, mark of the day, bump of the day, great hands, <laughs> clean skills, you know, not only was it great to see a youngster pull out that sort of performance, but it was one of the performances of the year across the whole list this year. So, you know, he does need to back it up this week. But, you know, I was almost getting a little bit of a tear in the eye watching him play that well out there. I mean, you know, we've spoken to him numerous times on the podcast. He's one of our friends at the podcast. You know, we sponsored him on Big Footy a couple of years back, and as you said, he's one of the most down-to-earth guys um, you know you could ever wish to meet. and it's just wonderful to see him doing so well.
1: Look, he's a credit I've, to himself. Yeah, he's a credit to himself. And, um, oh gosh, we spend a lot of time... Oh, sorry. We dedicate a lot of games and a lot of development into, into turning players, drafted with late picks or drafted earlier that aren't performing... Uh, and we keep them on the list for a long time, and I feel like it's probably longer than a lot of other clubs do. So it is good to see that occasionally it can actually pay off in our favour because uh, it wouldn't have taken much for Brendan IT to be listed a couple of years ago, and he could be doing this for someone else, but he's not. He's doing it for us, and if he can become a first 20 or first top 10 player, he'll not only do that, but he'll do that with a unique skill set, which makes him a fantastic strategic weapon for the coach and obviously for the club. Um, it's a absolutely. really good result and hopefully he can just find consistency, beat the eventual tags and uh, become the player that uh, I'm hope- thinking he now believes he can be.
0: That's it. And what a way to celebrate your uh, your new contract as well.
1: Yeah, well, I know that when we were talking last week, we were talking about the contract and it just seemed like such a gimme to re-sign him based on the season he'd had already. Uh, and that was just icing on the cake, absolutely. And fantastic celebration of... Uh, a lot of hard work he's put in and a lot of faith that's been shown in him. And I think we'll see the rewards. So that's great. Um, now we just need to get his brother. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: That's right. Look, my, nice. love this week, my love this week is uh, the aggression and the physicality that we showed across the whole team. And, you know, we haven't really seen that all year except for maybe the Collingwood game. Um, and, you know, from the opening 10 minutes uh, when we just played footy whilst GWS wanted to sort of go around headhunting our players... Uh, you know, to the huge bump from Archie on Rory Lobb. You know, Wingard pole driving Lockie Wind, uh, Whitfield into <laughs> the turf. Uh, you know, guys like Hammer and Ebo putting some really big blocks on Tom Bug at stoppages. And Trengo bossing Rory Lobb on numerous occasions. And a number of our players sort of getting into Heath Shaw. It was, it was great to see. And, you know, GWS started the fights and we pretty much finished them. And, you know, we hurt them physically, won the game and essentially finished their finals chances as well.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, it was a, a really fantastic contested game in a lot of ways. The one thing that I didn't see once, or I, it might happen but I didn't notice it, is that uh, we didn't have those really annoying early release disposals going upfield. So what I mean by that is where a player sees they has got an option up ahead and rather than run to the last moment to dispose of the ball, they kick early, which means the player on the receiving end has an opportunity to get, mob- to get mobbed by a zone. Um, yeah. That was, I think, the main thing that was really noticeable this week was that uh, the guy with the ball was running a lot closer to the man than they usually would, which means they have to try and be accountable, which gives the person further down the line more opportunity to do what they need to do to make an effective possession and make an attack. So that's, that is absolutely a baseline minimum of what we should see every week. Um, and I definitely – that is the one thing, if I could pinpoint one thing, that's the one thing I want to see every week from now on is just that uh, that – brave and calculated banking of the player coming towards the ball carrier. Good call. Mm.
0: And what about your hate, Portia? Uh,
1: look, my hate was watching the replay and hearing how often they were talking about sling tackles when uh, I think that the last one uh, they were talking about was that West off, was it? I forget. Yeah, um, yeah West off how much responsibility is on the umpire to pay a free kick because if the player's fighting the tackle and it's going on for a long time and there's no free kick being paid either way or a ball up or a whistle blown then the only result that can happen to force a result something happening either way is clearly to continue the tackle and the longer you continue the tackle the more likely it is that players are going to go to ground so if that is a slim tackle uh i think that's just as much negligence on the part of the umpire, not making a call in a timely fashion, as it is anything that just Justin Westhoff's done. It's just really poor management of a situation, and in a game where the umpires are happy to call free kicks at a you know at a whisker blowing through the air, the fact that that one was let to go for so long is just kind of ridiculous.
3: It is. I look, I thought a few years ago they were make, going to make an effort to call you know, for a ball up quicker to avoid players yeah. getting injured because they're caught in tackles and, you know, they can do a knee or something like that. Okay. And that that's gone by the wayside now, apparently.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what's happened here. Um, the player with the ball is trying to fight it. He doesn't just fall down on the ground because he wants to make it not look like a tackle. Just West Westhoff mm. has got his tackle on and he wants to get it paid and the umpire hasn't made a decision. So, yeah, something's going to happen out of that. And, uh, yeah, if there's an umpire fault on that one. And I think that... Uh, I'd love to see it at least acknowledged before Justin Westhoff gets suspended for five weeks. Yeah,
3: Harold, your hate. Yeah, I had a few hates, but I think I'll. Um, I think what really annoys me is that you know, in what seems to be a fairly open year, in that you know, a bunch of fairly uninspiring sides, including our cross-town rivals, you know, they're going to be playing finals and not us. And I'm generally a fairly pessimistic person when it comes to football. But after, you know, our 2014 final series and adding what was meant to be the missing piece in our premiership puzzle and Paddy Ryder during the pre-season trade period, I I actually was expecting us to be a genuine top four, if not top two team. So I hate reading, hearing and talking about which teams are in the mix of finals this year when, you know, my club, the Port Adelaide Football Club, is not going to be one of them. So I hope the players feel like that too, actually. Yeah. I think the
0: premiership's still pretty well up in the air as well. So this is really a year where we could have really snagged a, a
2: flag. Um, uh,
1: I think that those years happen occasionally and then they become erased in hindsight so that the premiership winner was always going to win, as happened the Geelong beating us in 2009. Um, 2009, wasn't it? Yeah. Seven, yeah. 2007. God, my years are on. Um, basically, that it was a very even year. We all thought we were under the chance and uh, anyone could win it. But Geelong, you know, in hindsight, and especially with the follow on they've had, it's now would be considered absolutely destined by the stars. And the hindsight expresses in full swing. Um, so I think this will probably be one of those years. I think it's going to be hard for anyone but Hawthorne. Oh, West Coast could win, I suppose. I don't know. I'm surprised really, if West Coast won. Yeah, I don't know. Look, Hawthorne, I guess, is really the favourite. I I can't... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, right, it is fairly even, but yeah. Hawthorne have got the experience more than pretty much anyone else. It'd be really surprising if they didn't win.
3: Well, most definitely. You know, they're going for how many in a row? Four in a row, whatever it is. What are are they going for? Three in a row? Three. So so they're definite favourites. I think they would have been fairly worried if we were there, though. That's the trouble
1: yeah that'll come up this week I suspect more than anything um, <laughs> they'll go Ah, oh, Porter trying to play now okay well it'll be good finals practice <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: well,
3: maybe not but yeah
1: we'll see
0: you never know I mean Butcher might have started and finished his career with 160 point drubbings
1: <laughs> oh, stop it <laughs> oh, let's
0: hope not no. let's hope not no. Give us some
3: hope for next week. My
0: goodness. Yes. Well, look, my hate this week, it's just got to be the umpiring. I mean, it, it was probably the most reactive, inconsistent, confusing performance I can ever recall watching footy. And the umpiring didn't even go against us. It, it pretty much favoured us in the last quarter, I thought. So it's not necessarily a whinge, but I've never really seen the umpires lose control of the game like that before. And, you know, there were periods in the first quarter where they just completely lost control. And, and it seemed like their way of trying to, to gain back that control and maybe sort of separate that the aggression out there was to to give a 50-metre penalty every couple of minutes. And I don't know, what was it, six or seven 50-metre penalties in the first quarter? I mean, that's just ludicrous. and <laughs> All they did was make things worse because players got more aggro because they just got more confused. And you look at the 50-metre penalty against Trengo for pushing after the mark, and I reckon Giants players did that about 20 times during the game, and we got nothing for it. And, you know, they pull out two completely random deliberates from absolutely nowhere in the space of 30 seconds in the last quarter and wasn't seen before that, wasn't seen after that. And, you know, the main culprit was Jordan Bannister. You know, he was pretty much a D-grade tagger as an AFL player and he's a D-grade umpire <laughs> as well. I mean, he can't bounce, he can't view the game correctly oh. and he's got no consistency in applying the rules. And if he wasn't a former AFL player, I reckon he'd be umpiring at League Creek or Hamilton or, you know, somewhere like that.
3: Yeah, not only can he not bounce, he can't even throw it up properly. You could only
2: yeah, throw it about three
3: metres up in the air. Yeah. Well, at least we, we got to vent. Got out all those irritations and frustrations at the ground, yelling abuse at the end.
0: Well, let's go on to our more uh, structured review, I guess. And, you know, it was around 20. Came and went and saw Port Adelaide record a hard-fought uh, 21-point win, 16 goals 15 to 13 goals 12. Um, Archie, Montfries and Wingard kicked three goals each, whilst uh, Westhoff kicked two goals as well. Um, What did you guys think of the first sort of 10, 15 minutes? I mean, I thought it was really nice to see us come out firing in the first 10 minutes, and we seem more determined to play the ball compared to GWS.
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, quite fairly, if you were a GWS forward scout uh, watching the opposition, you probably wouldn't have expected Port to play the style of game we did on Saturday. Uh, And I think that... uh, I think if you were looking for a game that evidenced that GWS is basically a young side that's still finding their feet, it was probably this game uh, in that uh, they probably thought they could be a little, have a little bit of muscle, but in reality they weren't prepared for the combination of muscle uh, added to the class that uh, we have in a few of our important players uh, across the field. Um, I do think that there was certainly a, a really good tempo for us to start off with, and uh, yeah, I, I I would love it to be a situation, and we have reverted from this occasionally, but I'd love it to be a situation where when the game gets rough, teams know that Port Adelaide had the advantage, and I think this is probably one in which we certainly took that advantage.
0: We need to get back to that old-school Port Adelaide thing of you never piss off Port Adelaide, because if you do, you're going to get absolutely thumped.
1: Yeah.
3: In- indeed. Look, and we all love it. The supporters love it as well. We don't like being nice. Let's be hard, tough and hated. Yeah. Screw being but, humble. Indeed. <laughs> so I, I, I thought we dominated the first like quarter and a half, like Portia was saying, actually. You know, yeah. it's just, a, you know, we had control of the game, but we certainly missed a few gimme goals and things just didn't quite go our way. And there's they certainly, there was a few, you know, holding free kicks that went one way that didn't go the other and, but we certainly didn't... Uh, we weren't dominating on the scoreboard like we were in, in the field of play. But it was very encouraging what we were doing. It was very enjoyable football. And, you know, getting into their faces was a great thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you think um, it was predetermined by GWS to come out and play the man a bit? Because it seemed that way from the get-go. You know, before the first bounce, it was a bit of niggle. And, you know, I think it was uh, what Nick Haynes that put down Chad Wingard in the first minute which led to the goal and all that sort of stuff. It it just seemed like they came out like it was a predetermined situation from Leon Cameron to say, you know, play the man, try and rough him up a bit because they can't handle it.
1: Yeah, look, it could be. And if that was the reasoning, then I don't understand it. But uh, yeah, worth a try. It could be that, that he's trying to dictate to GWS how he wants them to play and that they just uh, chose the wrong individual players to do it to this week. Because um, you've got to remember, I suppose, that they are building a team and so as much as we are, they're setting the standard sort of team they want to be in the future. and The sort of team that we already agree will say on this uh, podcast is the way that we want to play in the future is that we want to be a contested football team and I doubt that GWS are any different in that regard. So it's probably just team development, and they made that call to start
3: like that and it backfired. I think we also made a call to play that way as well. I think we've gone away from, you know, that hardness at the man, hardness at the ball, you know, hardness at the ball carrier sort of game. And I think as a club we've made a real emphasis, you know, focus on, you know, sticking up for your, for your mates and having showing a lot of team care and, you know, being aggressive. And Because the Magfires have certainly been doing that, you know, against Centrals, they tried to rough up the young players, and everyone got around each other. And for a while there, we weren't flying the flag at AFL level. You know, Gove was, you know, Grimes was kneeing him when he was on the ground and you know, whatnot. But I think we've made a conscious effort too to get into other teams' faces. Yeah, yeah. To niggle certainly,
0: them. Certainly, Bo- certainly, the captain. He, um, he seemed almost on a mission. He seemed to, <laughs> to really dislike Thomas Buggin. And- you know, bugs seemed to dislike him, and they were just hammer and tongs up until half time, and seemed like every 30 seconds, Boak was wrestling with someone.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, He's certainly got a lot of
0: focus. There's no doubt. So, how did you find our skills? I mean, as you said, Porsche, we it looked like we were trying to run the ball a bit more. We we seemed to have our uh, slingshot going, but I don't know they they just seemed to sort of break down a little bit going forward um, inside 50.
1: Um, I think that it's just a result of the way we were playing. Um, so I'll give you an example, which was uh, John Butcher's first attempt at goal. Um, you saw him lining up and he was already exhausted, absolutely exhausted, just getting to the point where he could have a kick on goal. And, of course, he absolutely shanked it. Um, this style of game that we played on Saturday, it's a high-intensity style um, because in a lot of ways it covers four weaknesses in our side. Uh, for example, one we have in key forward, uh, which means that we need to just keep bombing it forward and getting it in there as much as possible and hoping we do it enough to score. Um, it's uh, And so the result of that is going to be inaccuracy because you've been running hard, uh, and if you've been running hard and you haven't had time to get your heart rate down, you know, it's going to affect your balance to What's the word? Stability. It's the closest I can think of. And you're going to have to work extra hard and have the extra focus to be accurate in the circumstances. Um, I don't think it's coincidence that the um, areas in which we were the most accurate uh, at goal were probably when there were short leads. um, that players made and took little marks as opposed to the ones on the run. Um, and that's for fairly logical reasons. Uh, the shorter leads, here, yeah, they require physical exertion, but it usually means you've had time to plan it rather than just running full pelt and having a go.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of truth in that, but there's no doubt we still need to work on our kicking skills especially. I thought our handballing was a lot better than it has been, especially in close in recent times.
1: Yeah, yeah I Some... agree
3: with that. We, we seem to be hitting the targets by hand a lot more.
1: Yeah, I'm um, just on the long kicking. There was one thing that I've sort of felt for a while, um, which is that Brad uh, Brad Ebert is just a really awful kick. Um, he later in the game, I think he had those really fantastic opportunities to set up good uh, uh, marks in the square or good offensive play. And as soon as the ball goes beyond about what 15, 20 meters, he just he's really inaccurate. And he gets in fantastic positions, but it's just really not a good result skill-wise. And I feel that very much with Brad Ebert. It's something that he does a lot, um, that he has this fantastic opportunity and then he just sort of puts in a really half-assed kick behind it, um, probably more than other players would in a similar uh, position on the field. Is that fair? I, I think I, I think know.
0: it's fair. I've, people have been very critical of, uh, of Ebert's kicking all year and... I generally haven't thought it's been that bad, um, but I thought on the weekend it was at an all-time low, and you know he just missed target after target every time he sort of tried to kick the ball, and you know I
3: think that was probably his worst game for a while.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. always
3: been a um, you know something that's been on Brady, but you know his kicking skills haven't been the greatest. So I think when he's highly confident and playing well, that's when he's, kick, he's kicking well. And I think he's been down on form all year and his kicking's reflected in that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: and the sad yeah. part was that, you know, the reason the, his bad kickings really stuck out in my mind is because the positions he was getting to were fantastic. Mm. Um, so that's, that's why it's particularly disappointing because he's doing the right things. He's probably following all the team rules. But uh, without that, that ability to uh, execute, um, it's just all wasted. Look, we've brought up Butcher... We might as
0: well uh, talk about how he went out there. He was a very late inclusion for Jay Schultz. Uh, what were our thoughts on uh, the future?
1: Uh, he's yeah, a bit like Josh Fraser, is what I thought. In the, not an agile, <laughs> but I know it's one from out of nowhere. But uh. Josh Fraser is written up as the person, of the player. I think the the best ruck, the best ruckman below the knees. Um, in the league at the time he was playing, and it feels like you know John Butcher. He's the the best key uh, key position forward that crumbs in the league. That um, the rest of it's really not there to the extent that you need it to be. Um, he tries so hard. He's like a he's like a dog that doesn't understand what has gone wrong, and it's just really disappointing. Um, that I don't know. I, I'm still haven't seen enough to think he's done it. That he's going to get to the level we need him to, but. Yeah, good on him for doing well near the end there, but um, I still think his place on the list is very much in doubt.
0: There's a lot of people that are uh, that are very, very happy with how he went out there on the forum, um, on Bigfooty. Footy. Um, do you think that's justified? Uh, how do you mean? Or, or do you, or do you think people are maybe sort of seeing things that weren't necessarily there?
1: You He's mean- coming from
3: a a low base for a lot of people, a lot of people's opinion. As Porsche said, he was trying his heart out. He did, you know, some really good things, you know, that left foot mm. centering kick that Arch, you know, marked in front of the goal square for the first goal. That was beautiful. I mean, he didn't give up, even though he sort of like ran under the ball a few times or was out of position. He still, you know, tried his all to get to the contest. So from that point of view... It sort of made us unpredictable and worked for us because we actually kicked some crumbing goals that you know I can't recall us doing in recent times. So yeah. from that point of view, he was good, but he still does a lot of things wrong, and you know he can't kick that well. Um, look, I thought sometimes he did run to the right spot and you know was in a dangerous position, but you know either his teammates you know ignored him or spotted up someone who was in an equally good position, and that happens, but. I don't think he's a great leading forward. There's no doubt about that. No, that's it. Uh,
1: Look, I,
0: think... I really liked the defensive part of his game. And that seems to be the, the part of his game that a lot of people have loved on the forum as well. You know, the spoils, the chasing, the crashing, the packs. You can never question his desire to go out there and win the footy when it's close by. But as I said in my review, he's pretty much all Vegemite without the bread and butter at the moment. You know, he does all the things that uh, I guess are probably secondary for his role in the team. Um, he does very very well but it's the my issue with him again is the sort of the same stuff I've criticized him for uh, over the years and that's the fact that he can't really lead he doesn't really know when and how to lead there's no repeat leading he generally can't get space on an opponent he always seemed to be out of position so that literally the only plan of attack was to actually crash the pack or spoil the ball he always seemed to be on the fat side when we were coming in like on the opposite side of where the bowl was coming in and you sort of looked up and you, you were hoping Schultz was there but of course Schultz wasn't playing and you're thinking Butch, you need to be in that position and you know leading there and you, if you led strongly there you'd be winning the bowl and having a, a shot on goal but you just seemed to be almost content sort of on the other side of the ground a bit and um, I guess that's stuff you wouldn't really notice on the telecast but it was pretty plain as day at the ground I thought and mm-hmm. having said that though you can't deny the excitement every time he went near the bowl you know it was like watching Gary Ablett out there I reckon I yelled out <laughs> Butch about 50 times every time he we went near it. And the scenes after he kicked that goal were just absolutely mental. You know, <laughs> there were people high-fiving guys three rows back, jumping over bloody rows of seats to get to each other. And it was like we won a grand final. Yeah, it was a tremendous roar. <laughs> it was the loudest roar all year.
1: Yeah, probably. Um, look, I think that as far as being on the wrong side of the ground, I sort of think maybe it was actually an intention to grab space, but. As regards the ability to bring the ball to ground, um, I guess I've got just one real concern there, which is that is that really, it's great for us but is that really, in the AFL? is that really a viable strategy for that to be like a go-to thing for a key position forward to do? Like, I can understand having that in your bag of tricks uh, as an option for when you need to play a certain way. But as far as a long-term thing, I mean, if your opposition knows that you're going to bring the ball to ground, and it's just as easy for them to set up people roving the pack as it is for you to. Um, yeah. And as we know, we um, don't have fantastic coming small forwards. Um, so even in the current Port Adelaide side, it's arguable that it's not really a, fant- a particularly good tactical option for us to be doing. Um, so it's it's a small piece of the puzzle, but uh, whether the value is there for it, I really don't know. I mean, that's really what kind of did Daryl pool back in the day as well wasn't it you know you were thinking oh he's fantastic at sNFL level and then you know, that style of game just didn't even 20 years ago it was too late for that style of play in the AFL um yeah I'd, I'd, yeah
3: he couldn't kick very well either actually <laughs>
1: yeah exactly yeah, yeah
0: very true yeah no, it's all well and good to crash the pack and spoil the bowl, and he did do that very well. But you need to be able to, I think, as a forward in the AFL, you need to be able to get space on your opponent. You need to know when to lead. Um, you need to be able to take some uncontested marks and, and have a few shots on goal within sort of you know 30 metres of goal. And that was probably an area that he struggled on the weekend. But I don't know. Do you think he'll get another go this week? Do you think he'll stay in the side, or you know, does the Schultz come straight back in? Do we bring Loby back in? Um, you know, will he get pushed out? Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm
3: not he wouldn't get pushed out. Yeah, three marks in a game probably isn't enough when you've had that many opportunities to take marks. And you'd think Shules would take more than three marks. Maybe not Lobie, though. But uh, I could <laughs> see how they would bring in a second tall in against Hawthorne and second ruckman. Mm. Um, you know, Ken's been intimating that too but comments like, you know, he had a great game and he's our vice-captain and I know that he can work with Paddy and that sort of stuff, so from the, that sort of talk, it wouldn't surprise me if Lobie comes in for sure and if Schultz is av- available, why wouldn't you play him?
0: I'd like to see us play Ryder in the Ruck and the three Tolls up there with Schultz, Westoff and and, uh, and Butch and see how that goes, but I think it's inevitable that after that sort of game, Lobie will come back into the side Yeah, and
1: i th- I know that while you're saying you'd like to see the free tools and and Ryder and Ruck, but the reality is, um, we need to be having two Rucks capable of playing A.F. Four games because if we go to a structure where Ryder is our only Ruck and he gets injured, we have nothing, nothing. So I I I can see for a game absolutely, and I can see where the matchups are right. Yeah, you do something like that, but I don't know whether. We have to play lobby if he's spit, basically. I don't see that there's really an option. If he's fit and ready to go, we play him as well as Ryder. Yeah.
0: I mean, and, we and, took the risk all last year with just the one Ruckman and only two key forwards.
3: We didn't have a choice. No. Well, in, well as far as the rock went, anyway. Hmm. But, I mean, Paddy, when he has played forward on a few occasions like that, the showdown and, you know, there's a couple of other occasions, he looked very dangerous as a forward. It's just that sometimes he misses some goals as well. But I think, you know, with a bit of continuity, he'd be very dangerous up there than playing in the ruck occasionally. Let's see it. Yeah.
0: Moving on, let's talk about a couple of the other sort of younger players. Uh, Sammy Gray, that was his his third very, very good performance in a row at AFL level. And, you know, maybe he will stay on the list next year. Do you think, um, you know, these sort of performances are doing him the world of good in terms of getting another contract?
1: Um, I think I have the opposite of color blindness because I find it really hard to see Gray. Um, I just... <laughs> Robbie,
3: you can <could> see. You <laughs> can see Robbie, clearly.
1: Robbie, yeah, absolutely. But even like if you said for me to say before you mentioned Robbie's now, who were the best five players, I probably wouldn't have thought of Robbie Gray. I probably would have thought of five others. So um, mm-hmm. I don't know. But i Gray, yeah, I'll have to take your word for it because when I was watching the game on the ground, I just didn't see him as much. I suppose, as I heard about him after the game, reading things. So, yeah, I don't know. Sorry.
0: (laughs) Well, once again, he sort of didn't really make all that many mistakes. You know, maybe the odd era here and there. And maybe that's what sort of, um, I guess, making people's views a bit more positive is that they're just happy that he's not making the mistakes that he was making at the start of the year and maybe last year as well. but. Was this I, I don't think this. you can deny that he's playing a lot better, um, playing further up the field in his more natural position. You know, once yeah. again he had five clearances, he had six inside fifties, um, you know, set up one or two sort of uh goals as well, and you know, he's certainly playing his part.
3: Yeah, I think that was his definitely his cleanest game, and you know, and that's he's always been an extremely good SNFL player and a genuine ball winner. And I think that you're right, he's playing a more instinctive game when he goes into the midfield. I thought he linked up really well actually on the the weekend and he was pretty clean with his handballs and everything. I, I'm an you know a long been a doubting Thomas though, and I think he does need to continue that form, you know, against the likes of Hawthorne and Fremantle and those sort of teams, and and then we can start talking about him being elevated to the senior list alongside Cracker, but. I think he still needs to do that, but he's certainly progressing in you know, an upward trajectory that you would like to see. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Jarman Impey's another one. Um, oh, I thought he, he was uh, absolutely exhilarating in the first half, and you know he was probably a bit wasteful after halftime. But that first half really showed a glimpse of the type of play that he could become in the future. Yeah, he's
1: a, look, basically uh, when you saw Impey go on those runs, he's just. I think he's what we've hoped other players might have been in the past um, in that he has a really good turn of speed, but he also has the ability to just play really really good solid tackles and play a physical game, um, sort of that uh, aggressive outside player, which, um, gosh, I mean, that's really uh, a staple of the Port Adelaide side really um, to have that kind of player with the, that mix of outside and inside game and uh, if he can just keep on his progression, he's going to be a – a very good player and a very Port Adelaide player. Really fantastic performance on the
3: weekend. Yeah, it's hard to describe the excitement that he generates when he starts off on one of those blistering, counter-attacking runs. Yeah, and he, but he also did some other great things too. I think Arch kicked um, to him was a bit, and it favoured his opposition. He took a lovely one-handed mark and then set off on a run through the middle of the ground and you know set up play and he, there was at least two of those runs that resulted in goals. That one along the wing was sensational, and that ended with that bullet-like pass to yeah, Montreux.
0: Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, Gus Montreux came back into the side this week after uh, his one game in the SANFL. and you know he, he did a bloody good job. I thought you know he kicked three goals, was uh, was in the game the whole time, a couple of goal assists, um, and really didn't really give uh, Heath Shaw much of a, a game as well, which
1: was great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I was pretty pleased with Monfrey's game for sure. Um, he was pretty useful in that forward line. Uh, he probably would have been even more useful. I did notice that when we were going kicking to the top of the goal square, or the kicks coming in were really, really high. Um, and that certainly doesn't advantage Monfrey's, I wouldn't have thought, um, or Butcher for that matter, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think he did very well with the opportunities he had available.
3: Yeah, he brought other players in the game, didn't he? He had ten mm. score involvements and three of his own. But you know, you remember those little handballs. I think that one that Hartlet got was a handball from him, and when Hartlet sidestepped and kicked the last goal of the game. But he set yeah. up a few goals for sure, Angus. And like I said, did a good, really good defensive job on Heath Shaw. Yep, totally. And look,
0: we spoke about in the uh, in the preview that. Maybe there was a bit of a concern with Cleary coming out of the side, you know, given that they had the three tall forwards plus a, a resting rackman up there as well. But it didn't really turn out that way. I thought uh, a key defenders did a pretty good job. I mean, Trent killed Rory Lobb. Um, I thought uh, Homs did a pretty good job on, on uh, his opponent as well. And look, Jonas, I thought Cameron got a hold of him maybe in the first half a little bit, but Jonas' second half was absolutely crucial to the win. And I thought he was back to his absolute best in terms of his sort of intercept marking and and sort of intercept disposals. It was great.
1: Look, the only thing that Cameron had on Jonas in the first half was uh, umpire intervention. Um, Indeed. uh, Yeah, I think that Jonas played a fantastic game. And uh, uh, as I said on one of these podcasts back when Jonas got dropped from the side, that there's no point dropping him because he won't actually learn anything at SNFL level. Well, what did he do at SNFL level? Not much. Oh, nothing.
3: He He was horrendous.
1: And so you top side he's at where he's actually supposed to play and he comes out and he puts in a pretty decent performance, but he didn't learn a single thing at SNFL level. Having that at side, he could have been playing like this last week for all we know. Um, but uh, certainly I think that, that, that uh, those three tall forwards that we were worried about before the game, um, that was a team defence. That was what we really saw on the weekend was a proper team defence where we used three tall backmen to negate and we relied on the Smalls to do their bit and create um, from the opportunities that came from those key forwards not being able to take clean possessions. And uh, that was telegraphed before the game. And again, yeah, Leon Cameron couldn't work that out, I guess, or couldn't solve it anyway. So, um, yeah, mm. who thinks right now. <laughs>
0: That's it. I, I did a really good job on Patton, I thought, and uh, O'Shea had the job on McCarthy and kept him to just a couple of kicks, I think. But I think... Uh, you know, Cam O'Shea, I mean, geez, Louise, I mean, just his disposals. I mean, he, defensively, he was so, so good, but every time he got the ball, and you can add Jasper Pittard in that as well, I mean, it was just absolute bomb scare moments out there. It was just horrendous.
3: Yeah, yeah. Cam, Cam was his kicking. He left his kicking boots in the locker room, that's for sure. But just, uh, but Pittard was a bit more than just his kicking. I liked how uh, Dwayne Russell called him Captain Risky. I think it was pretty apt for uh, <laughs> the way he was playing on Saturday.
1: I think that uh, a fairly important uh, factor in the game from our perspective uh, was the ability to that we had to put uncertainty into the GWS when they were on the defensive. Um, and certainly, uh, yeah, Captain Risky is pretty reasonable because the one thing you can count on Pittard to do is to try and find the area on the ground that scares the opposition. And uh, yeah. even if it wasn't always coming off. He was certainly unsettling them, if nothing else.
0: I think he tries to find the area on the ground that scares the shit out of his his teammates <laughs> oh, <sorry.
1: laughs> and the
0: supporters in the stands. <laughs> I mean, just that period of sort of three minutes where he he missed, I think, four or five handballs in a row. It's just like, come on, Jasper. You know, <laughs> you you look at how he played at the start of the year and just how. Critically, was in in some of those great wins over sort of the Crows and North Melbourne and Hawthorne. and you look at how he plays now, and it's just chalk and cheese. I mean, we know his best is absolutely good enough, and you know some of the best footy played by anyone in the team, but
3: his worst is just deplorable. Yeah,
0: I, was, I didn't think he was
1: that bad, but yeah, what do I know? <laughs>
3: But you're right, he started off like a bomb early in the season. He seems to have lost quite a bit of uh, self-confidence as well. I just wish he could have nailed one of those long shots of goal he had, so might have, you know, given him a bit of a boost. Certainly puts himself in dangerous positions like that. I, I like the idea of, his, of him playing as a wingman occasionally too. But Yeah, well, every
0: time he plays on the wing, he's just about best on ground.
1: Mm, mm.
0: I don't know why we don't try that more often, to be honest. And I guess the other back to talk about broadband. I mean... For God's sake, Reese Palmer, five <laughs> goals <laughs> should have um, had six if he didn't drop the ball, and could have had seven or eight if he kicked straight.
1: I think that Reese Palmer was just the pressure valve. Um, we had completely frustrated their preferred method of attack, and, uh, which is what you want to do strategically. And if all they got left is uh, one, you know, fairly opportunistic uh, half board that is kicking a bunch of goals, and they still don't win. Will you still? done exactly what we wanted to get from you from your defense so um yeah absolutely you got a bit of a bath from palmer but uh i'm not really too worried about that uh the ball was going forward it just was not always going to be returned to our advantage we repelled a lot of attacks like we repelled a lot of attacks for the gws forward line and for reese palmer to occasionally get one through is a bit of a bullocky half forward i don't really have an issue with that
3: So did and you I guess like... the last, you go, mate. No, I was just going to say, did you like Patrick Ryder's game? I thought he was pretty influential in the ruck, and some of those uh, over the shoulder taps were reminiscent of Brendan Leigh at his best. So he looked pretty yeah. dangerous doing that.
1: We Definitely you know,
0: I thought it was one of our best ruck performances of the year. Even though we lost the clearances, I think we, uh, you know, we had a, a lot more cleaner ball coming out of the midfield than what uh, GWS did, and you know, Ryder was a massive part of that. and yeah, he just seemed—he just seemed to have the ability to to find our players when they were free, um, quite a lot of the time, which is something that Lobie has maybe struggled to do this year.
1: Oh, can I just uh, tell you who I thought was a, a really good player that we haven't mentioned yet, and that was definitely Maddie White. Um, I just yes. loved his commitment this game. He was not in yep. it the whole game, obviously. But, like, even things like when Reese Palmer stuffed up his bounce, I mean, the person that was absolutely pelting it to make him accountable for that was Matty White. And he just had so many moments where he could see there was a moment to make a difference and he took that moment. I was just really pleased because that's, a, that's the kind of performance you do want to see from your, uh, I suppose, your half-forward types is the ability to see that it's time to swoop and to execute and just give it everything. And he totally did that multiple times this game. I was really pleased. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, his that's defensive right. pressure was wonderful, and his skills were fantastic. I was actually quite surprised when he uh, was subbed out. I didn't think he'd be the sub. I thought it might have been Mitchell at the ground, but uh, I was pretty surprised by that. But um, yeah, he certainly had a had a very good game, and it was one of those games where you look at the stat sheet and you go, "Well, he didn't really do much," but you actually mm. watch the game and you realise just how big an impact that he did have. Yeah, mm. our
3: area gave him a standing ovation when he uh, tackled Rhys Palmer in the goal square. <laughs> first quarter. It was sensational. My brother said, i oh, would give up Matty, but he didn't. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant.
0: That's one of the funniest things I've seen
3: at the football, I've got to say. It was a pretty entertaining game like that. There's quite a few highlights and, you know, like Jasper going crazy and all sorts of things <laughs> happening. Brendan Archie taking marks. Matty White stripped players of the ball and it was just yeah, pretty amusing. Well, look, we've criticised uh,
0: Jasper Pittard and yeah, guess who's rung up now? Guess who was rung up? Isn't he too busy? Hello. See.
2: Here he is. I am very busy. I just got home. Yeah. You
1: you
0: just... must have heard us buddy criticizing Peter, surely? Hey, surely I... not.
1: Hey uh, Rick, I, I, I followed the agreement. I just was really soft on him. I didn't really criticize him at all. So. Uh, <laughs> that that's don't, actually don't freak true. out. I'm keeping, I'm doing my bit.
2: Check his mail. How did we go with Cam O'Shea's review? Was that completely neutral and unbiased?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah? He he got (laughs) criticised a little bit too, don't worry.
2: Did he? We did win, didn't we?
1: I'll even concede that him missing those uh, shots at goal was absolutely abominable.
2: (laughs) They were sitters too, weren't they?
1: They were shocking.
2: Yes. He kicked kicked it like a true defender. So, what were the positives from tonight's review then?
1: lots we had a long time before you phoned in
2: that was pretty positive yeah yeah i've got my finger over the dub button
0: here rick so you better be quick
2: (laughs) did you guys talk about the uh, controversial game day village saga
3: no No. i haven't mentioned that
2: nope no you haven't mentioned it so what do you what do you guys think about the the potential squeeze that's being applied to the is it 10 ssa from uh, the sma about our game day village
0: 10SSA okay. has the liquor licence, yeah. So the SMA, I guess, is <laughs> sort of putting the pressure on them to sort of uh, not allow the club to uh, to run these sort of events, which would be pretty disappointing, considering that uh, the SMA with with talks with the Crows about um, creating a new shed. So it would be very hi- hypocritical, but also pretty apt, I think, for the SMA yeah, yeah. to sort of uh, you know block us from sort of earning some cash uh, by doing the game day village whilst they're creating a big new premises for the Crows.
3: I didn't hear about that. Oh, that
1: is... Yeah. Bloody so, typical.
2: So, yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I, I wonder if the SMA would care if we sold the beers for $9 and gave them $4.50 or something. Probably not. But um, it, it's just another way of trying to exert some, uh, some control over us, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, I'll,
1: it would be really, really good if we could just sort of secede from South Australia completely. That would just be so fantastic. Just, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. like, hold a referendum like Scotland, except actually vote it through. That would just
2: be the best thing, I think, for everyone. Yeah. I think the, the, the issue I have, and I think Fimba, um quoted on the forums today, is that, um, you know, thanks or either, it was either him or Tribe, one of the two classic posters, you know, thanks the uh, SA government, you know, spend our $600 million and then, give the uh, the power to two rebel organizations in the and they probably could have done that component of it a little bit better i guess but um yeah and what about our man at the arch that was the other one i know you've probably spoken about him in great detail but is yes. that the uh, is that the we, key feature story of the weekend
1: we love him yeah he's great yeah yeah
2: we just yep. need more of it yeah
1: pretty much yeah, well,
0: it just needs to back it up in the next couple of weeks, I think, and yeah, you know, it would be pretty harsh to expect maybe 25 touches and three goals against the Hawks, but you never know. I mean, this, this might be the making of Arch, and and hopefully it's uh, is something that cements himself in the AFL team for the rest of this year and hopefully next year as well.
1: I'll ask you a quick question: What do you think the response will be if Archie gets named as the sub next week? Oh. <laughs>
2: Don't Who even go there. From me or from everybody? <laughs> from everyone. From ev- sure, <laughs> well, surely that spirit. just could not happen. <laughs> Can't happen. It won't happen. Don't be silly, Porsche. You're talking we, silliness. We would
3: know that Ken's trolling us if he
2: did that. <laughs> well, it would be the biggest kick in the guts, really, to a player. Well, look, I, after, after Cleary
0: happen? being best on ground and getting dropped, I'm half expecting Archie to line up in the SANFL next week. all right well let's move on and talk about the sanfl because it was a a pretty exhilarating result for port in the sanfl as well with the pies winning 14 goals 11 to 14 goals 10 at the bay against glenelg on friday night and look spoken at length about brendan archie and his breakout game but you know there was a kid in the sanfl called ben sawford who had his breakout game as well and he was an absolute superstar with 40 touches and four goals, Also, uh, Aaron Young, Paul Stewart, and, and Billy Frampton kicked two goals each. Uh, this was just one of the great wins um, of the season for the Maggies.
3: Was it ever. And one point was even sweeter. We were talking about that earlier against Ganeel, Earl, just beating them in the last minute. But you're right about Ben Sulfer. That's his third really good game in a row at uh, SNFL League level, level as well. So great job for, for the one club set up and he's a consummate team man too Benny
0: I mean just his stats are just ridiculous I mean 40 touches, 5 marks, 6 tackles 14 clearances, 9 inside 50s and 4 goals, I mean that's just ludicrous that's the best on ground
3: performance isn't it
0: settle down lad. <laughs> <there.
1: laughs> <Jeez. laughs> yeah I suppose um, almost Aaron Fiora-esque Really, I
2: didn't really what? Yeah. Let's, go, let's go on back a bit. Ah, uh, look, when they're
1: in your brain, they're in your brain. <laughs> that's
0: it. But yes, one of the great comebacks of the year, and I guess the the most important part for me was that uh, you know the Maggies over the last sort of eighteen, twenty-four months have have lost a, a lot of close games. You know, we seem to get uh, near enough, but but really struggle to get over the line and. Yeah, it looked like this game was going to be the same. I was half expecting us to lose by five points, but um, you know, to get over the line and actually win a close one like this was—it's uh, absolutely brilliant. Can I ask you a yeah, question? It
1: ever? Do you think the players actually care about beating Glenelg like we used to? No, oh, they- not at all.
0: I mean, what have Glenelg done in the last twenty years? Nothing. Mm-hmm. So, probably not. About- but it's
3: great for great for the supporters. Yeah. Yeah. I think the players care about winning as well. I think yeah, for sure. yeah winning.
1: Yeah.
3: They're a very close-knit group. I don't know if you saw Porsche. There's a, a YouTube clip of them singing the song afterwards, and it was a pretty rousing rendition. You know, those sort of close yeah. wins. I think um, that's what was touching on. You know, to achieve those close wins, especially when you've been down and coming from behind. You know, I think they really do inspire a group. Yeah, oh,
1: I've got no doubt that players like winning, but, and that's they've got a good amount of camaraderie, but I guess I don't know, I'm just now thinking, like, back in the day, Port Adelaide versus Glenelg, that was the, one of the ones that you just always wanted to win, because you could lose to Nord, and you kind of respected and but Glenelg were just scum. Yeah and, uh, yeah, and now it's sort of like, oh yeah, Glenelg, okay. Uh, yeah. Well, and- Glenelg
0: are basically the Carlton of the SNFL, really, they've just sort of done nothing for sort of 20 years, and that's about it. So they've lost their sort of aura. And I guess yes. you're right in the terms of, um, you know, beating Glenelg doesn't have that same sort of impact as what it once did. But I don't know, to, to hear sort of uh, Cornsy winching on radio about the one club thing and all that sort of stuff again and how Matty Loby by himself has, you know, earns more money than the entire Glenelg salary cap. Yeah, you know, that makes it all worth it, I think. Yeah, I, I guess
1: that we sort of... Um, this NFL really should just have um, uh, Grant Corns on the payroll permanently because I think he's the only person that really keeps people angry enough to be interested in it.
0: That's it. Absolutely. Speaking of Lobie, we might as well talk about him because he had 19 touches, he had three marks, which is a miracle in itself, 62 (laughs) hit-outs, six tackles, six clearances and a goal. There's not really much more he could have done out there.
1: No. It's one of those things like with Jonas in that when you drop a senior, an AFL senior player back uh, to the SNFL, which is nowhere near the standard. It may have been in the past. Uh, it's just kind of pointless in a lot of ways. Unless um, there's something really specific you're doing it for. So it's good that he did well. Um, he needed he needed to do well. If he didn't put in that sort of performance, we'd have some real questions, I'd say, um, as to whether he should have even been playing. Uh, it would mean, he was horribly injured. But, uh, yeah, I, it, it's a good result and he should
3: be back on the side. Yeah, I think uh, Monfries, you know, was dropped and did the same thing, you, know, you yeah. know, did all he could to get reinstated in the team. So I'm expecting that Lobie will be reinstated as well, especially against Hawthorne. Yeah.
1: But, but it's, it kind of, can... it's kind of the
3: Jonas situation that you mentioned just before, Porsche, where
0: you know, he's gone back. He was always going to have this sort of game against, you know, no-name Ruckman
3: for Glenelg. And, you know, what, what do we actually learn from this?
1: Nothing.
3: But, but hopefully the coaches want him to learn something. I, I, know, I know exactly what you're saying, but there must be a reason why he has been dropped to that level. Especially by Ken, because Ken loves him.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, he's been dropped because he was a liability. At our well, that's, that's, that's that's true. So you're like, sort maybe... of stuck between a rock and a hard place because he really has been a bit of a liability in his in his ruck work at AFL level and he's just been absolutely nothing around the ground but he he was always going to go back to the SAFL and, and dominate like this so i don't know maybe it's just a, a matter of confidence and you know he's he's had a big game he's had a lot of the ball taken some marks kicked a goal hopefully he can come back in and you know bring that sort of confidence to his AFL game
3: i think ken's trying to recreate you know what happened to him when he was playing under blight got dropped back to the reserves and had 50 touches and you know, he was asked, what did he
1: learn from it? That I don't want to play
3: reserves again. So. That
1: was very <laughs> Um, I think that more than anything, <clears throat> what we've really learned from Bobby being brought back is probably that the SNFL is not an environment that's going to um, be worthwhile for players that aren't recent draftees. Um, and that, you know, really, maybe we should just kind mm. get to somewhere else again. Um... The WFL, you have to presume that the number of AFL players in it is a more uh, important competition and more relevant. Uh, Particularly the SNFL is, is not now.
3: No. We, we need a, a National Reserves competition as
1: well. Yes, we're at that point. That. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. I
0: guess the last player that I want to mention is Billy Frampton. He had a really good game. Ten touches, uh, nine hit-outs, kicked a couple of goals, took some really strong grabs as well up forward. Um, you know, he, he's... Been in pretty good form and has really, really impressed with the Maggies. He's
3: a bit of a wild man, and he's a, certainly a, already a cult figure amongst uh, mm-hmm. those of us that do go watch the Magpies occasionally. And because he's very aggressive, and he, you know, he he really plays that old style port tall man sort of role, you know, protecting others and going in hard and yeah, really aggressive at the contest. So. Yep. Do think that. the style
1: that will translate
3: to the top level? People do say he's a bit more of a, a forward than a ruckman, but um, look, he, he's very mobile as well. So, you know, he's not going to be one of these stodgy, slow-running ruckmen. He's got the mobility for AFL. He can clunk a mark and he's a competitive beast. So they're all positives. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hmm.
0: Indeed. All right, well... I think that wraps it
3: up a very good
0: weekend for Port
1: Adelaide.
3: yeah very satisfying. Yeah. nice to be on after a win that's for sure <laughs>
0: Has, hasn't happened often this year so it's great uh, great when both teams win and we can have a good chat about it mm, totally
1: agree so,
3: thank you very much
0: too easy <laughs> until next time can't can't power.
1: Kind of power goes back Lockwood can unload,
0: oh he goes for top. the old barrel, what a kick from and Lockwood, where did that
3: cover Well they put and held the ball up, they had no one to kick it to, there was about four or five.